Why, is that why your barbecue sauce, the Jim Beam barbecue sauce, tastes so good? Yeah, because it's got Jim Beam in it. That's why it tastes so good. <laughs> what the hell you mean, Fritz? Yeah. Have, have, you had the Jack, have you had the Jack Daniels barbecue sauce? I'm sure they do. I'm... No, I mean, have you had it? Have you tasted oh, yeah, I've it? Tasted it. I know <laughs> yeah. they do. I've seen it. Do, do you like their... I've tasted it, yep. Yeah. Anytime you put whiskey in anything, it's good. Shit, Fred, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Everybody, welcome back. This is episode 214 of Bourbon Pursuit. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny, and buckle in, strap up, whatever it is, because we've got a lot of news to roll through. Kentucky Owl has announced the release of batch number three rye. This Kentucky Owl, Kentucky Straight Rye Whiskey carries a 10-year age statement and will be bottled at 114 proof. In the press release, Dixon Deadman, who's been on the show previously in episodes 27 and 160, has assumed the title of Kentucky Owl's Master Blender. But he commented, there is a lot of older juice in rye number three, but it's the 10-year-old stocks that really give it that richer, thicker, syrupy mouthfeel and bring the blend forward. And as you know by listening to this, that the youngest whiskey in a blend is the one that has to be shown on the label. So this will be making its way out to major markets across the U.S. this month with a suggested retail price of, wait for it, $199.99. Last week, I had the opportunity of joining the fine folks over at Liquor Barn here in Louisville to select the very first of not just any barrels, but the very first barrels from a newly launched single barrel program from Bullet Bourbon. We had the opportunity to tour the grounds and do some blending for fun. And during that blending process, there was one that just blew me away. I picked it up and I just nosed it and I couldn't set it down. I just kept smelling this bourbon and I kept tasting it. And I told the master blender, whatever's going on here with sample number six, just give me the single barrel and call it a day. Oh, come to find out, they gave us samples of 20 plus year Stitzel Weller stock that they had sitting around to just have some fun with blending. But you better believe I took no part in blending that and savored every last drop. It was a tease, but a special treat nonetheless to have that experience with those folks there. Then we headed down to the barrel tasting room where we had different barrels and different bottles with different mash bills and different yeast strains to come away with a total of three different barrels. And these will be available at Liquor Barn locations across the state of Kentucky in a few months. And I'll be sure to let you know when they do drop. Last week, we had the opportunity to head over to Bardstown, Kentucky, where we were in a very unique opportunity to select two barrels of Elijah Craig from six that were rolled out. For anyone that has been on Elijah Craig pick before, you know that three is usually the standard. We were fortunate that the Heaven Hill team pulled some strings and got us a six barrel lot. We came away with an 11 and a 12 year old bourbon and both were just killer at barrel proof. But we also proofed it down to its bottling proof of 94 just to make sure it still held up. And of course it did. Look forward to these going on sale to our Patreon community in the upcoming few months. And a special shout out to Keg and Bottle in Southern California for making this all happen. Find out more about our barrel picks and what we have going on at patreon.com slash bourbon pursuit. And you can find out more and get bourbon delivered to your door from Keg and Bottle. Go to keg, the letter in bottle.com. And speaking of barrel picks, we had one go on sale this week. Our Riff You Like a Hurricane from New Riff is going to be available to purchase to our Patreon community. 
Now, you've heard it on the podcast already, but we will be in Frankfurt at Bourbon on the Banks next week, August 24th. Go get your tickets. We hope to see you there because we're going to have our own booth. We'll be talking about Bourbon Pursuit. However, we will also be sampling our Pursuit series for all of those who haven't gotten the memo yet. And speaking of Pursuit series, it's now official. We will be bottling our first Kentucky bourbon next month that will go on sale sometime in the October timeframe. And we're ecstatic to be the first to let you know that we have partnered with Willet Distillery to bring this experience to you. I know it's still surreal to even hear myself say that we're partnering with Willet. And we've purchased two barrels of their high rye bourbon recipe that will be bottled as Pursuit Series, Cat's Strength, Non-Chill Filtered, The Works. You know how it is. And this high rye recipe, it's not even available to liquor stores or distributors that are selecting their own Willet family private state picks right now. So we feel super excited and super lucky to be able to bring this as a, a one-off offering of what we're able to do. And we selected not just one, but two of these barrels two months ago, and they just landed at our bottling facility this week. We're going to be the first independent bottler of Willet Distillate in who knows how many years. And we've got more news to announce with this, but we're gonna have to make you wait just a little bit longer until we cross our T's and dot our I's. Now, today's podcast, it was recorded last year at Bourbon & Beyond in 2018. Since we were there sort of in a passive capacity, we had one session, but we didn't have the ability to kind of record, we got this after the fact, and that means we don't have any video. So if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook, I'm sorry. It's like we're going back one and a half years before we started doing video. But if you're on the road or you're running or you're just listening to audio as usual, then just continue as normal. But as you know, Bourbon and Beyond is just around the corner. It's taking place next month in Louisville, Kentucky from September 20th through the 22nd. The festival has expanded from two to three days and you will get the chance to see a lot of familiar faces there. Ryan and I will both be moderating panels and you've also got the entire roundtable making a presence. Jordan from Breaking Bourbon, Brian from Sipping Corn, and Blake from Bourboner are all leading their own panels and workshops. Of course, you're gonna have Fred Minnick there too. It's an opportunity to drink some bourbon, listen to some bands, go listen to a bourbon workshop or seminar, then go back out there and rock out with the headliners. All of this is covered in a single ticket price. So if you want to be there in person to hear sessions like today's podcast, go get yours now at bourbonandbeyond.com. We'll see you in Louisville. Also, let's toast a bourbon to the weather gods and hope for no rain and clear skies this year. Now, you've got Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This past week in the Philippines, a lawmaker put forth a bill to ban the sale, the serving, and consumption of alcohol and alcohol beverages in streets, pathways, plazas, alleys, sidewalks, parks, and parking areas. Their belief is, is that this will be a proactive response in the growing problems of alcoholism in the Philippines. And this is a quote directly from a doctor there. Alcoholism and violence have clearly become key public health issues that require urgent attention. Hence, it is imperative for the country to initiate a national policy to curb alcohol consumption in public places, end quote. So here's the thing, Philippines. This has been done before and it didn't work. Prohibition in the United States basically opened the world to the mafia. And it also showed that it didn't really curb drinking at all. What it did do was it increased the sale of 
bad liquor, and people would die from drinking the equivalent of ethanol or gasohol. And today, when we see areas where there are dry counties, you have moonshiners. So people will find a way to drink. And I'll also say this, that the efforts to ban alcohol or alcohol advertising, they're growing. And they're growing because we have never really been able to figure out as a society how to drink responsibly. So when you're getting your fellas together, your girlfriends together, think about this for a moment. You could be an example used of drinking responsibly. What does that mean? Well, Google drinking in moderation. You definitely don't want to get behind the wheel. To me, a big part of drinking in moderation comes down to the taste. I like to sip and savor and analyze every single molecule that's hitting my palate. And that's been a big reason why I've been able to develop my palate using mindfulness techniques. I also believe that there's a project out there called the Mocktail Project that would be great to include in your parties that would help push the drinking in moderation. And if someone's sober or doesn't want to have a drink, they can have a, a mocktail that's basically a faux cocktail that's just as tasty as the cocktail would. And of course, the culture. We live in a society that does not want to educate young people why they cannot drink until they're 21. I have a five-year-old, and he can tell you exactly why he is not able to consume the same bourbon that his father and mother do. Now, I'm not saying that parenting is easy, but I do think it's important that we educate our children that alcohol is not the devil. It is not some evil thing that demons cast upon you and the only way to not be caught up in its evil spell is to avoid it. In all honesty, if we just teach our children that drinking is bad for your body until you reach a certain age and your body is able to handle it, to me, that is a more appropriate and honest and truthful way to bring someone up in this world. But it's just easier to ban stuff. Just ask the Philippines. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, if you have an idea for Above the Char, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Fred Minnick. That's at Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long.
And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 from their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Gentlemen, please take your seats. To my left here is Jeff Arnett, Master Distiller for Jack Daniels. And to my other left, Fred No, Master Distiller for Jim Beam. Gentlemen, it is such a privilege and honor to emcee what is an absolutely historic seminar. Jack and Jim, what's the difference? The two world best-selling American whiskeys. This is awesome. Now, both of you all have had a lot of musical connections. Tell us, let's see what the difference is starting there from the music perspective. What kind of music has Jim Beam been a part of? Well, I guess the first one was uh, my dad met Hank Williams Jr. So it kind of... Little name, that's a little name drop right there. And you know, we've uh, played with Montgomery Gentry for a long time, country. And then we kind of eased into the rock a little bit with uh, Nickelback. And then our latest buddy was uh, Kid Rock. So we've, we've kind of hit different genres of music. So you like people who like to drink? Mostly people who like to drink Jim Beam. All right. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Now, I think there's a musician that's pretty well connected to Jack Daniels. What's the history there? Well, if you go back in our history, it goes all the way to our founder, uh, who was pretty well-traveled, considering he was born in a small town in Lynchburg, Tennessee. So he purchased some instruments. He created a group called the Silver Coronet Band, had them play on the square in Lynchburg because he learned that music and whiskey kind of go together. They're both very social. Uh, so he kind of saw the connection. So it began very early for us. But I think the game changer in Jack Daniels' history was back in the 1950s when Frank Sinatra uh, first held up Jack Daniels on stage. He called it the Nectar of the Gods. Um, our sales doubled from 1955 to 1956, but he was a lifelong Jack Daniels drinker. It was after that that you started to see Jack Daniels not just on rock stages and music stages, but also in a lot of movies. Uh, but Frank was uh, loyal to death. He literally was buried with a bottle of Jack Daniels in his casket. So uh, we were honored to wow. come out with a whiskey that, that honored his love of the brand a few years ago. Now, there's also some photos of, like, Jimmy Page drinking... Uh Jack Daniels backstage. 
the Rolling Stones, Lemmy from Motorhead, uh, Slash from uh, Guns N' Roses. These are people that are pretty iconic, you know, in the rock world. And uh, definitely love Jack Daniels. And we have a, we, we're very fortunate. We've got a lot of people in music who love Jack Daniels. And once we find that out, uh, we don't feel like they should have to buy Jack Daniels T-shirts. So I write a lot of letters and send out a lot of T-shirts to people to thank them for their love. Now, Fred, Jack Daniels used to employ a guy who made sure that Frank Sinatra always had Jack Daniels. Has Jim Beam ever done anything like that? What do you mean? Make sure they got plenty? Like, so th there was a gentleman. I made sure some of our buddies. Frank, Frank Sinatra never, he always had a case of Jack Daniels nearby. So they employed someone who basically, from what I understand, just basically drove around with him, made sure he was always with Jack Daniels. Well, we, uh, when people are on tour, whatever market they're in, our sales force shows up and greases them pretty well. So you're <laughs> I haven't heard any of them complain about not getting plenty of Jim Beam. All right, so that's that's a, just a little touch on the music about what's the difference between you two. You're also both really big into barbecue. Really big into barbecue. Now, Jeff, I was a judge with you last year at the big uh, Jack Daniels barbecue. Tell us about your big barbecue connection as Jack Daniels. Yes, we uh, the fourth Saturday in October uh, in Lynchburg, we sponsor what we consider to be the the Super Bowl of barbecue. It comes very late in the season for the Kansas City Barbecue Society circuit, uh, but it's the top 80 teams. Typically 20 of those have come from outside the U.S., so they're representing countries like Switzerland, Estonia, Canada, Australia, England, uh, but usually it's about 50 or 60 of the best U.S. teams uh, who show up there to win the Jack Daniels uh, International Invitational Barbecue. It's a great time. Uh, I know, and, and I have served as a judge on the shade tree only, where I judge the, the major meat categories, but I, I could hardly walk uh, when I got up <laughs> from the table that day. I did not pace myself very well, but 42 samples in about three hours, and you better know what you're doing. So I know we've got some judges out here in the audience today who are looking on who can attest to that. <laughs> now, Fred, you are a great barbecue pit man. You're also a great ham maker. You've got a personal connection to barbecuing. What, is that why your barbecue sauce, the Jim Beam barbecue sauce, tastes so good? Yeah, because it's got Jim Beam in it. That's why it tastes so good. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell you mean, Fred? Have, have, you had the ja have you had the Jack Daniels barbecue sauce? I'm sure they do. I'm... No, I mean, have you had it? Have you tasted oh, yeah, I've it? Tasted it. I know <laughs> they do. I've seen it. Do you like their... I've tasted it, yep. Yeah. Anytime you put whiskey in anything, it's good. Shit, Fred, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Does anyone got, got a, a curse word? You knew he was going to cuss before it was over. Yeah, yeah. What was I, the plus I, or minus, you know? I should have said we should have a cuss word counter out there with you, you know? <laughs> well, you say I'm a potty mouth. What Jeff, the hell? We can trust Jeff to be a gentleman, but Fred, boy, he can get going. I'm not a scholar, so don't even go there. <laughs> Now, both come from very historic distilleries. Very, very historic. Tell us about how Jack Daniel got started. Well, for those who don't know Jack Daniel's life story, uh, he was orphaned at a very young age, so he found himself without either of his biological parents when he was a young teenager. Uh, he was one of 13 children born to his father, one of 10 born to his mother, but he ended up moving away uh, to work for his room and board on a neighbor's farm. That neighbor was a Lutheran minister and a farmer. Uh, more importantly, he owned the general store that still stands on the square in Lynchburg today. And, and of course, back in the 1850s and 60s, 
small town general stores had to serve a lot of functions uh, in the community. It had to be a small scale department store. It had to, it's where you picked up telegrams, uh, but also would be the pharmacy of the community. So Jack started out making medicinal whiskey uh, for a Lutheran minister um, that was sold to the townspeople of Lynchburg at the general store. Uh, so from very, very modest beginnings, uh, he was out there for at least a decade perfecting the craft and ultimately bought the distilling equipment and moved it to where we are today. And that happened in the 1870s. Uh, so, you know, uh, in Jack Daniels history, other than prohibition, every drop of Jack Daniels has been made uh, from a cave spring in Lynchburg, Tennessee. It's one of the things I think that makes us really special. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we're as, I think, consistent uh, as we are. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great water source, uh, and, and the townspeople of Lynchburg have made it their passion uh, to carry on the, the mission of Jack Daniels in his absence since he, he passed in 1911, uh, and since then we've been able to become the number one selling American whiskey today. So, Fred, you guys also have a, a lot of your connection to your family's history is also connected to the water. Tell us about that. Yeah, our, uh, I guess my great, 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 great-grandfather, Jacob Bean, migrated into Kentucky, a little place called Hardin Creek, and they were giving away land to get people to come this way from the Northeast. That's he how came, bad things were back then. They were giving land away. Just to come in here and grow corn yeah. into what is now the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Jacob came down, got his parcel of land. He was a miller of grain. Uh, then he found out making whiskey was a good way to preserve, preserve the grain. Uh, in fact, come to find out his whiskey-making skills were better and more profitable than the milling of grain. So our family started making whiskey, old Jacob Beam. And then as time wore on and railroad came through, uh, his son moved it to Bardstown. Then Prohibition came along, shut our asses down, uh, <laughs> and along with a lot of other folks here in Kentucky. And after Prohibition, Jim Beam started the old Murphy Barber distillery back up a spot right down there in Claremont where he had been milling or grinding uh, stone, limestone rock. There was a big spring there and a distillery. And so that's where we got moved from Hardin Creek to Bardstown to Claremont, where we are today. And eight generations later, we're still there. So we're looking at both water sources. They're both limestone filtered. They both very come from really strong natural areas of limestone filtered access, you know, great access to the water. So we have a lot of similarities here, you know, from a cultural perspective. They're both very involved with music. They're both very involved in barbecuing. You've got some cool barbecue competitions as well. You both got barbecue sauces. And there's a lot of connections there. And then the water is pretty much the same. Now let's talk about the recipes a little bit. Now, Jeff, I love you. You'll tell me exactly what your recipe is, your mash bill. Fred, what's the Jim Beam mash bill? How many years have you been trying to get that out of me, Fred? I, <laughs> I figured this would be the moment you would open up and share it. No. Nah, when they put me in that coffin, they might give it to you. <laughs> I'm not going to give it to you because I know you want it so damn bad. It's true. <laughs> it, it is. It, I do want it bad. And the thing is, Fred, if I gave you numbers, they added up to 100, would you know if I was telling the truth? I would make you put your hand on my book and swear it's the truth. So it's the book of bourbon. It would have to be the truth. Uh, wouldn't have to be shit. You know better than that. <laughs> You've been well, trying to fish this out for years. It, it has been a long time. It has been a long time. So let's just say that Jack Daniels is very sharing with their recipes, uh, with how they share it. And you guys 
been very protective of it from me for years. But we can say that you're at least 75% corn. You're more than 51% corn. <laughs> yeah, no, we're more than 51% corn. More than 51% corn. I'm not giving you anything. Yeah, for all right, like okay. Because pretty soon you'll say, how much rye? Oh, then you'll be able to figure it out if I give you the And would the, would the gentleman from Tennessee tell us the, the mash bill recipe for Jack Daniels? I will. You know, with the exception of the rye whiskey that we've just introduced, that's a 70% rye, 18% corn, and 12% malted barley. Pretty much everything that you've ever had from Jack Daniels shares what we call the old number seven recipe. Right. It's 80% corn, it's 12% malted barley, and 8% rye. And I know Fred doesn't want to talk about it, but I would just say in general... Jack Daniels is about a half to a third of the typical rye content of a Kentucky bourbon. So when you start contrasting maybe some of the differences of yep. Tennessee whiskey and Kentucky bourbon, that it begins at the grain. Uh, it, there was a, a deliberate choice to maybe go a little bit less on the spice that would be associated with rye and going a little bit higher in corn to make it a little bit sweeter. So Jack tends to push out into that sweet range a little bit. I think that's fair to say. I think I know your grain bill, but I won't tell anybody. Your secret's safe with me, brother. Jeff, you can say it here. No one's listening. No one's watching. Come on now. They used to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, uh, Chuck Cowdery uh, had a good story about your dad and the the issue of Bourbon Plus over there. You got to go check that out. But sorry. So our, our mash bills, the recipes are pretty close. You know, so they're pretty close to being the same. Damn close. (laughs) <laughs> and then let's t- look at the distillation perspective. You guys are both using column stills. Yep. Both using column stills. Correct. What are you coming off the still at? What's your, what's your proof point off the still? Um, we, we actually, all of our stills are made out of copper. Uh, so they're a column still. Each is equipped with a doubler. So it'll be a single pass, but a double distillation process. Uh, we target 140 proof. Okay. And, and, and with the still design that we have, uh, we can maintain that plus or minus one proof point. Uh, so we, we have a really tight range around our target. So 141 right. to 139 would be the range. 140 is the target. What is your off the still proof? Jim Beam? Yeah. See, we, that's where we'll change our taste is with distillation strength. But uh, we go off the first distillation, 125. Second distillation, 135. Okay. So, again, both very similar in distillation technique in that mid one mid 130s to uh to 140 and by law they cannot go any higher than 160 proof so that's actually telling you right there that they are deliberately going lower so you can get some more of the characteristic from the grain in there so they're both doing very unique things and now we get to that point where we start seeing a difference now Fred, you you guys go and get maple charcoal and filter your whiskey right before it, right? No. Oh, wait. No, that's not Jim Beam. That's Jack Daniels. <laughs> did you do any damn research before you did this? <laughs> he, he gets, what do you, have? He gets confused sometimes. I apologize for my buddy here, you know. <laughs> what do you think of the Lincoln County process? I mean? Yeah. It's tradition. That's what they do. I think it's... It's good. That's what makes them special. Well, do you like it? I enjoy what they do, what they make, yeah. So tell us about the Lincoln County process. And by the way, I didn't know. I was trying to set, <laughs> uh, trying to set Fred up there a little bit. You know, even though today we're in the second smallest county in the state of Tennessee, both by population and geography, you'll hear this charcoal mellowing process often referred to as the Lincoln County process. So we're in Moore County, 
Uh, but don't get confused. Back in the 1860s, Lynchburg was in a larger county called Lincoln County. Uh, Moore County wasn't formed until the 1870s. Um, but this was a regional variant of bourbon. It was just something that, that popped up uh, among local distillers. And back in Jack's day, uh, even though we're the only one you'll find there today, uh, back in Jack's day, there were dozens of different distilleries littered throughout the hills around Lynchburg, taking advantage of the limestone water uh, that we have in abundance there. Uh, but they began to charcoal filter uh, right after they would distill the whiskey and before they would put it in a barrel, they would filter it through um, hard sugar maple charcoal became the, the variety of wood that was most preferred. Uh, people have asked me before, did Jack use any other different types of wood other than hard sugar maple? And I, I wish I could answer that question. I think if he were here today, that's probably one of my top questions that I would have is what all did you experiment with before you settled there? But I would tell you this about hard sugar maple. It's an indigenous wood. It's, it's all throughout the hills around Lynchburg. So it's, it's easy to find even after 150 years that we've been out cutting it and burning it for charcoal. The, the key advantage that I see from it is that it's a very low ash wood. And we're gonna, of course, we're gonna take our whiskey through that. So we don't want a lot of ash coming out of the, the charcoal getting into the whiskey and going into the barrel. Today with modern technology, we could process that away if we needed to. But what I notice is that there's really not much uh, in the way of, of ash that comes off of it. Also, oak, oak actually has quite a bit of ash. Uh, maple does not. So Jack was not just known to use hard sugar maple in the charcoal mellowing process, but he felt that it was very important to change it frequently because he recognized that it was like a sponge and eventually a sponge will get full and it gets saturated. And so you need to do more than just pass through charcoal. The charcoal needs to be fresh enough to make a difference. So we're tasting our vats every week, changing it out on the frequency necessary to make sure that it's making the difference, removing uh, the, the fatty acids, uh, it cleans up the grainy nose. It comes off much lighter, sweeter uh, on the on, both on the palate and also on the nose. Fred, I don't know about you, but I heard the, I listened to the process and I've seen it before a million times, and it just sounds like so much more work. It, I mean, do you think that's why in Kentucky that they stopped using that process? We're just a little lazier. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't back in, I wasn't around here in the 1700s. I mean, look at them, I hope, but I'm not really. But no, I mean, that's just, uh, that's what Jeff and them do, and they've always done it. So I mean, we, we, used to, we used to do it in Kentucky. Uh, you know, the, the bill distillers actually used to do a similar process in the 1800s. It just did not, it was not very popular here, and so right. it, it went away. We but, did some charcoal filtering after aging yep. to kind of smooth out some of the, the whiskeys back in the old days, but now we've done some different, different techniques of filtering. Now, your tour guides, Jeff, they like to lob some mortar rounds toward Kentucky, and they just say this makes us better than <laughs> Kentucky bourbon. Yeah. Now, I, I got to say, as a Kentuckian, although I try to be neutral in this, my, my skin crawls a little bit when your tour guides start making fun <laughs> of Kentucky now. What, do you what are you training them over there? Well, of course, I, I think it's friendly competition. I think it forces us both to be the very best at our game. Uh, and I think people win uh, when we feel like we need to, to step up our game and, and mind our P's and Q's to make a better product. You know, I, I know that we've had people who've come and taken the tour at Jack Daniels who've recently taken the, the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. And uh, some of them have come up and told me that I asked the tour guide, uh, they wouldn't say which distillery it was, but you know, why isn't that y'all don't charcoal mellow like Jack Daniels does? And the standard response you'll get is that all oh, hell, that's that ain't nothing but a shortcut. 
Uh, and of course, I looked up shortcut. I looked up the definition of that. You know what? It's amazing. It's Their tour guide was Fred No. Well, supposed to save, shortcuts are supposed to save you time or money or both. And it's something that we invest days in, that we spend over a million dollars buying wood and burning it and replacing it. So it's, it's something we're pretty passionate about. But it's, uh, to Fred's point, it's one of those things that makes a Tennessee whiskey unique. Uh, it, it makes it worth exploring. Uh, the same way I think, you know, no two Kentucky bourbons are pretty much going to taste the same. Uh, this was something that was a, a regional choice to make Tennessee whiskeys different. Uh, and it's something that we feel like we've perfected over the years and that we're pretty proud that we still do today. All right, let's go through our tasting here. The one on your left, if I'm correct, is Jack Daniels. Am I right? Someone give me a... Yeah, I think... The one on your left is Jack Daniels. For us on stage, it's the one that's uh, closest to you. Are you going to be... You got it? Yes, sir. I got so, it. So what we're serving here is uh, Gentleman Jack. Can you tell us a little yep. bit about Gentleman Jack? Yeah, of course, as a Tennessee whiskey... Um, we charcoal mellow, and we were talking about that process being somewhat different than what they do in Kentucky uh, to make a bourbon. But that's right after we distill uh, whiskey and right before we put it in a barrel, it slowly passes through 10 feet of hard sugar maple charcoal. So that's, this is the distinct step that we do that makes Jack Daniels a Tennessee whiskey. With Gentleman Jack, this was our first new whiskey since Prohibition. We introduced it in 1988. It was the only whiskey that we'd ever done where we had charcoal mellowed it twice. So it gets one pass of charcoal before it goes in the barrel. It gets another one after it's been fully matured in the barrel and before it's bottled. So this is the double mellowed uh, version of Jack Daniels. And what you'll notice about it is that it has a very distinct absence of oak finish. For people who, a lot of times if people struggle with bourbon or with whiskeys in general, it'll, do, it'll have to do with the, uh, the aftertaste of oak. Some people find it pleasant and that's what makes them like bourbon for other people it's a it's a block uh, it's a reason why they can't enjoy it so gentleman jack was literally meant to be an approachable form of whiskey using charcoal all natural this is this is all water grains barrel and charcoal so there's nothing artificial added in here uh, but this kind of displays the art of mellowing uh, by doing it twice all right fred what do you think i haven't tasted it yet <laughs> what have you been doing the whole time i've been smelling it is that all right all right yeah no that's fine what, what the hell, have you tasted yours? I think I drank the whole damn thing. No, you, I got didn't. A little no, you didn't. That's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, when, when, it comes, when it comes to this one in particular, I often describe it as being very, very clean, um, uncomplicated, um, but it has almost a citrus banana nose on it. Uh, now, it has an absence of, of the right. earthy wood notes in it, uh, but now, very clean and light. The great Lincoln Henderson actually had a big hand in the development of Gentleman Jack. He did. Lincoln worked for Brown Foreman for 40 years. So between the people of Lynchburg and, and all the, the whiskey-making expertise we have at Brown Foreman, which, of course, includes some great bourbon brands and now also uh, Scotch whiskey and a, a new Irish whiskey brand, uh, we, we cover the whiskey world pretty well today, except with the exception of Japanese whiskey. We even have Canadian. Uh, so we're a whiskey company at our sure. core. So, so Lincoln Henderson is the founding master distiller for both Angel's Envy and Woodford Reserve. He's in the Bourbon Hall of Fame. He passed away in 2013. Great man. So there's a little bit of a bourbon iconic figure connected to that whiskey. Now let's taste a little bit of Jim Beam here. Okay. This, is the, this is the one we see Mila Kunis talking about all the time. <laughs> uh, this now is you the, didn't ask about, you know, the, our this, spokesperson. This, this is the world's best whiskey. Their words, not ours, according to Mila Kunis. Yeah. So what, let's, uh, we'll, we'll get to Mila Kunis in a little bit, but tell us about oh, okay. what we're drinking here with the uh, Jim Beam Black. This Jim Beam Black is our Jim Beam Mashville. 
which I'm not going to tell you, Fred. I know it's oh, what you're, you I, got was me, step, I was ahead on you on that one. Uh, but what we do, we age it longer. Our Jim Beam white label stays in the barrel four years. Uh, this is a six-year taste profile. So we're putting barrels that are older than six, some that are six, and some that are a little younger than six. That way we keep the product on the shelf with a demand curve. All right, I got I to interrupt you here. I got to interrupt you. Okay. There was a once upon a time it had an eight-year-old age statement on there. Well, if you go back farther, it had 101 months. Oh. So, I mean, you want to get on history. He was ready for me. You're damn right. I'm, Fred, Fred, you remember, we've done this shit before. Yeah. You ain't setting me up, man. I might look I like a... I can't I might look it. dumb, but it's just a disguise. I still, you know, the thing is, it took me a while to get over, but I still buy it. I still uh, love it. Well, I'm glad you still like it. But the big thing on this, 80, it's 86 proof. So, it's got more age, higher strength. So, it gets a little bit more of what... And I think bourbon is all about a little more wood, which I did notice the gentleman Jack doesn't have that much wood on the the nose and the finish. But I mean, if you want a little more of the, if you like the oak, then you know the Jim Beam Black is more than the Jim Beam White. All right, let's take a taste. You didn't do the Kentucky Chew with the Jack Daniels, did you? Yes, sir. Oh, you did. I missed that. You weren't watching. Shit, you're always trying to set me up. I am not trying to set you up. So uh, now here I am trying to set you up. Yeah, you're setting me up. All now, right. Here we go. No, I'm going to give you the mash bill. Is, is Two drinks ain't drunk enough to get me that loaded. Sorry. <laughs> is Jack Daniels a bourbon? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase. And go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Is Jack Daniels a bourbon? Well, no. I mean, <laughs> let's look on the label. Do you see the word B-O-U-R-B-O-N on her anywhere? It's in the North American Free Trade Agreement. I, no, I, you're going to get political three. on me, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Fred. Jeff, is, is Jack Daniels a bourbon? 
you know, according to NAFTA, yes, it is. Oh, there we go, you know? folks. Thank you so, all so much for coming. If, if you want to trust, <laughs> if you want to trust the view of our government, you know, you'd have to say that it is. If you want to make your own decision about that, that's fine too. But if, if you look at everything in the federal codes uh, that define what a bourbon whiskey is, there are no exceptions uh, when it comes to what Jack Daniels is. Our grain bill, and the fact that we're made in America, our grain bill, our distillation proof, the fact that we only use new barrels, of course, even make barrels for ourselves uh, as a whiskey company, the only one to do that. Um, there's nothing that would disqualify us, but there's always been this argument that, well, if you go through charcoal mellowing, it does distinctly change the spirit. Yes, uh, it, it, it changes the nose. It changes the, the mouthfeel of it. Uh, and the, actually, it was the U.S. government uh, back in 1941 who petitioned Jack Daniels. This was after Prohibition had ended. Uh, they wanted us to change our label from Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey to bourbon. They were trying to kind of go around and clean up whose operations and what they were being labeled as. And they said, we've looked at your process. There's no exceptions uh, to what defined as bourbon. So why not just relabel yourself? So they submitted samples before and after charcoal mellowing. Our, our salespeople actually offer those educationally today. Uh, and they tasted it. This was the, uh, the alcohol bureau in Washington, D.C. There actually was such a thing back then. Uh, they tasted the product. That, and they wrote us a letter. Like the government? They wrote us a letter. In 1941, that basically says, we've tasted your product, and we have to agree that you don't have the character that's typical of bourbon whiskey. Therefore, if you want to label yourself a Tennessee whiskey, we won't contest it any longer. And, of course, the U.S. government has a way of changing their mind. So we can, we've kept a copy of that letter just as evidence that we don't want to revisit that. We feel like the argument's been won, but we, all, we also say that it gives us hope because it's the one evidence that we have in the last 75 years that our U.S. government got any decision right. So, take that one. I ain't getting political. We ain't going to go there. <laughs> you don't get me in trouble, Jeff. And Fred, I know, is going to try to get me in trouble. So, so Jeff, do you ever get tired of people asking you that question, is Jack Daniels a bourbon? You know, no, not really. I think as long as people are curious, uh, that's part of the battle. Um, you know, for the longest time, whiskey... From the 1950s, the 1960s, and the 1970s, whiskeys were uh, all the rage. You know, the whiskey cocktails were what people ordered. But then we saw some pretty lean years uh, as whiskey brands. Uh, the 70s or the, the 80s, 90s, and 2000s were not necessarily so kind. So I think just having people to be bourbon curious uh, or, or whiskey curious he, he plugged uh, my book. Is, is part of the battle. Uh, you know, I always say if we can make whiskey interesting collectively – that the, the, the rising tide will raise all ships. So I, I feel like Jack Daniels' success doesn't necessarily have to come at the expense of Jim Beams, and I think probably Fred would say the same, uh, that we can both uh, have extremely successful brands because we, we do have unique flavors, we have unique brands, uh, and that's going to appeal more or less to different individuals. But I think just having people be curious about whiskey is the biggest part of the battle. If they're open to trying it, I think there's something in the whiskey category that they're going to like. All right, do you guys ever feel competitive against each other, like you want to own the well over the other? You know, the thing that, you know, the guys in production, we're buddies. Sales guys on the street, that's another damn story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would, I'd have to agree, you know, uh, Fred and I, this is very rare that we would be on the same stage together, but we met about eight or nine years ago uh, in Berlin. It was amazing because I think that was what Fred's first comments to me. It's like, we're a state apart and we had to come all the way to Germany to even meet. Uh, so we, uh, we were at the Berlin uh, Bartenders Convention and had a chance to, actually, we were 
representing American whiskey versus the other categories of global whiskey. So United we United against the devil. Yeah, instead yeah. of having the fence between us, uh, we we were actually on the same side of the fence there. So right. we were we were in violent agreement. I remember right. about the importance of limestone water and mixing up grains and using new barrels, uh, making it all natural, not using colorings or flavorings and things of that nature. So. You know, there's so many things that are common about Jim Beam and Jack Daniels. But the, of course, the one variant being charcoal mellowing, and people can decide if that's right for them. But I think as long as they're willing to to, to order a whiskey, uh, there's a good chance that they're going to like something there. Now we were essentially Jeff and me against the world, <laughs> and I think we did pretty damn good too. <laughs> well, but I, we were lucky because it was in Germany, and Jim Beam's pretty strong in Germany, and so. Yeah. All our salespeople were kind of on one side, and they were probably a little drunk. I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> <They're> pretty good. <laughs> I think there's one thing we could agree to. I, I actually have some friends who are what I call doomsdayers, you know, who who created fallout shelters, who've got MREs and you know bottled water stacked up to the ceiling, uh, and and a lot of them have basically told me that I'm not I'm not hoarding cash. I'm basically putting bottles of Jack Daniels and whiskey and stuff like that because if the currency fails, they're absolutely certain that a bottle of whiskey is always going to be worth something, regardless of what happens. <laughs> but, but vodka would not be. <laughs> yeah, I think if we go back to bartering, oh, it's yeah. going to be good to be in the whiskey business. What do you say, Fred? You're damn right. You're damn right. You can get more with a bottle of whiskey than you can a handful of money. I guarantee it. Well, gentlemen, it's, it's been a real pleasure here. Um, it's such a rare opportunity to have these two on the stage. I would actually like to take some questions from the audience. How about it? Would you like some uh, like sure. some folks like to ask some questions? Sure. Anybody have any questions out there? What is a regular day for Fred No and Jeff Arnett? Well, I, I get up about 6.30. Uh, head down to the office first thing look at emails just like every other person has to do uh, deal with meetings conference calls and then I get to have fun and go down to the distillery taste a little white dog right off the still and then usually hit by the lab and taste some A's liquor and then hang out at our visitor center shake hands take pictures sign bottles and then head home but then the day they send me to West Bumfuck uh, you're in liquor stores and bars all day, signing bottles, taking pictures, doing presentations. I'm sure Jeff's day does When he's on the west side, I'm usually on the east right, side right, yeah, right. of that same place. You, know, you can kind of, you can see who's been ahead of you when you go into a liquor store. Because when you see bottles on the shelf that have been signed by Jeff Arnett or Jimmy Russell or whoever, it's, well, shit, I'm definitely behind him. You know, don't put dates on them so you don't know. Or maybe I just come down by going to the store and see bottles signed from the last visit. And I say, well, shit, they ain't selling enough. <laughs> <laughs> What's or you sign one too many. Right, yeah. They bring yeah. every bottle they got out. They don't, they don't let you get away. You know, I, I think the, the, the one word in that question that, that puzzles me the most is regular. I don't know that I've ever had a regular day uh, as a master distiller because every day is it's different. Um, to me, I, I feel absolutely blessed uh, to work for Jack Daniels. You know, I'm a native Tennessean. I, I argue that it's probably the best known product from our state. So have, to have any hand in working at Jack Daniels to me was a dream job. Um, but 80% of my time is spent in Lynchburg. Uh, I, the one thing that I'm most fortunate about is that I don't have to travel between facilities. We make every drop in one spot. 
uh, using a water source, which allows me to keep everything as consistent as I feel like it needs to be. Uh, it allows us to leverage, you know, employees who have, you know, several generations of experience making whiskey. I think that I, I am not the strength of Jack Daniels. It is the, the people of Lynchburg who've committed uh, over the years since Prohibition to, to keep the brand going and growing. Uh, but I do spend about 50 to 60 days a year out on the road. Uh, so, I, you know, you become a little bit of a uh, a celebrity uh, in the world of whiskey. Uh, you know, that, you know, it's amazing what, what passes as celebrity anymore. Oh, yeah. But you know, to to a whiskey fan, they want to meet you. They want to get a photo. They want to get a signature, and that's it's always an honor to do that. Uh, but I, we're sold in 170 countries today. In 10 years, I've actually by the end of this year, I'll have visited 39 countries. So cover a lot of the ground uh, in a few days of the year. So let's talk about celebrities for a second. Let's go to what's it like spending time with Mila Kunis. They wasn't bad. <laughs> I mean, it could have been worse, you know. No, Mila, she, uh, she came here to Kentucky a couple times, and we hit it off right off the bat. You'll kind of love this story. I might as well go on and tell it. Surely I won't get in any trouble since I've already cussed a little bit. But when, me, when Mila first came, they wanted to make sure that our first meeting was on film. They didn't want us to get to know each other, and so she came to our home there in Bardstown, she was in the house. They were getting her hair and makeup, wardrobe. You know, I pretty much do all that stuff myself. I don't, I don't have hairdressers that go with me. Kind of no reason to. But anyway, my wife went into the house and was talking to Mila there, and she had her dog. Well, Mila and her boyfriend at that time, Ashton Kutcher, had to put their dog to sleep. It had gotten ill or something. So she got pretty emotional and was holding Sandy's dog. And she said, I'm a little nervous to work with your husband. And Sandy said, why? She said, well, I cuss a lot. <laughs> and my wife said, you're good. She said, no, you don't understand. I say fuck a lot. <laughs> Sandy said, you're still good. <laughs> so then, um, then Sandy came out and I was out back. And she came over and was laughing. I said, what's so funny? So when Mila is nervous to work with you, I said, why? She said, well, she cusses a lot. I said, well, that's no big deal. I know what she's worried about saying fuck around you. So we did our little meeting. It was on the film. Everything was cool. Cut, take a break. I got in her ear and I said, fuck it. <laughs> and she said, we're going to get along just fine, big boy. I, I, was, I was told someone that after having met Fred, I realized he was truly a master of the English language because he can take the F-bomb and use it as every form of the English language in one sentence. <laughs> Fuck yeah. All right, Jeff, as I play bartender here on stage, why don't you tell us uh, one of your celebrity stories? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, we're, we're very fortunate. Like I said, we've had a lot of people, especially in the music industry, who are, who are fans of Jack Daniels. So especially in country music, a lot of people, when they think of, of Tennessee, if they don't think of Jack Daniels, when they think of Tennessee, I think they largely think of country music. So, I've had a chance to to spend time and meet uh, quite a enough, few Fred? music music people. We, work. you know, had a chance to hang out with with Zach Brown and um, and his wife and his children, and also now with Eric Church, um, and to find out that his wife literally grew up about thirty minutes from my hometown, and what real and really good people that they are. I think you, I think that's the most si surprising thing that I find is that celebrities are not a lot different than we are. Uh, you know, so, some of them maybe are, but uh, the ones that I've had the, uh, the privilege of meeting, I've been always really surprised at just how humble and, and what good people they are 
And of course, if they love Jack Daniels, even better. We got plenty to talk about if they do. Uh, I know you, you, you are partial to the ones that, that favor Jim Beam, and I definitely uh, have a, uh, I feel like a big fan base out there, both in Hollywood and all over the music industry. Uh, Jack Daniels uh, is well represented there. All right, everybody, let's have another question. Who's got a question out here? Yes, ma'am, right here in the back. Coming to you with the microphone. How often do you introduce new products, and when will your next one be introduced? Um, I'll answer for Jack Daniels. You know, how often do we come out with new products? You know, for the longest time, we didn't. We had one brand that carried us for over 100 years. Uh, we introduced Gentleman Jack in 1988. We introduced Single Barrel in 1997. We didn't introduce any new products uh, from Jack Daniels for about 14 years. And that wasn't necessarily due to our lack of interest of offering new products. It was really more about, is the market even wanting a, a new product from us? Or are they happy with what they have? But as, as whiskey has taken off again, I think that's what we're seeing has changed the most is that people do want to try a, a lot of different things, including the loyal Jack Daniels people. And that includes, you know, our, our newest grain bill that's come out is rye. Uh, so we have two different versions of it. To me, that's, that's our new product. And for this year, that's what we're going to continue to focus on. Because to me, I think it's very different for people who maybe have never been a fan of Jack Daniels before. Maybe one of the reasons is the fact that we're very low in rye. Uh, and if you do like a high rye, whiskey uh, we now offer that you know I, jack daniels you know like i said we're very fortunate we have uh, just a rabid fan base and i think besides harley davidson we just recently got named the brand that's most likely to be tattooed on someone so you know people have asked me why did why did you come out with a rye whiskey and it's like well my fear was that there's going to be this big burly guy with a tattoo that says jack daniels on his arm and he's going to taste rye whiskey and decide he really likes that uh, so we need to give him a Jack Daniels option. That way he's not going to have to go and get his tattoo taken off. So, but you know, I, to answer that question, we've come out with one new product a year for the last seven years. So we've gone from three to 10 in a really short period. So we're just kind of trying to maybe decompress a little bit wow. from doing that and focus on what we've got out there. We feel like we've got a really strong portfolio. There's something in there that out of those 10 that I think everyone's going to like. Now, you were about to dispute the uh, tattoo thing, Fred? No, 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 no. I was going to ask him. I was going to ask Jeff where his was. Oh. I couldn't show you on stage. I'm sorry. That's, You're lucky. That's between me and my wife. You're lucky. You're lucky. <laughs> no. <laughs> we do a lot of innovations. Uh, my son, actually, Freddie, he's, he's got a who product. Ju who just had a baby, by the way, or his wife had a baby. Right, right. Congratulations, Congratulations, Grandpa. All right. Papa, I was holding Booker Your last Papa. night. Uh, it was kind of cool. But Freddie's got a, a brand called Little Book, which that's what my father called him from the time he was a baby. So every year, he's going to make a straight whiskey or a straight spirit blend. And so every year, it's going to be another chapter. In the chapter one was uh, no easy. The second one was no easy task. First one was the Big Easy, but he's taking spirit streams from within the Beam Suntory portfolio around the world, which he's got a pretty unlimited canvas when you look at all the whiskeys we have, which with this year he did a 40-year-old Canadian, 16-year-old Canadian rye, and an 8-year-old Kentucky straight rye. Uh, it's all cast strength, just like his grandfather. And so we're doing innovations probably one or two a year. And then we'll, within our, say, Knob Creek, we're gonna, we've done single barrel rise, uh, single barrel bourbons, 
cast strength. We do different things, all limited releases, because folks, like Jeff said, they want different stuff. They don't want the same thing over and over and over. If we see something that really hits hard, like we did a Basil Hayden Dark Rye, which was, uh, oh, damn. I, I've got an is. idea that we can maybe execute for next year's festival. Why don't we do a blend of Jack Daniels and Jim Beam for Bourbon and Beyond 2019? I ain't going to say it won't happen. <laughs> I mean, you'll have to talk to somebody higher up the chain. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. Jeff. I think they'll tell you, well, how drunk were you two when you agreed to that? <laughs> I'll fall on the sword for us both on that one. Have your people talk to my people. Yeah. yeah. So you get this ball rolling, Fred. What do you think? Should we have it for next year? I would tell you this, though. I think when you're looking at Tennessee and Kentucky, you're definitely looking at some of the the world's best spirits when it comes to whiskeys. And you can't go wrong. If you'll explore around, I think you're going to find there's something there that you're going to like. Oh, yeah. He's for sure. So what you're saying, it's better than Canada. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's different than Canada. We operate right. by different rules. Uh, we have Canadian whiskey brand as, as uh, well. I, if that's I what just, people I like, just, then more power to them. We got Scotch up. whiskey brand, so I'm not going to... get us in trouble. Yeah. We got Canadian, too, <laughs> so, you know. I've recently become a fan of sherried scotches. Oh, uh, you know. Still, still not a fan of Smoker there. Pete, but I'm open to trying new things. Well, gentlemen, if you all, if anyone in the audience has anything left, I know you two do. I just poured you, like, four fingers there. Grab what you have left. Let's toast it to to Fred No and Jeff Arnett. Cheers. And to you you all. Cheers.